Hi, welcome to CodeCast, the podcast where we get to talk all things code. This is a space where we, the Austin Code Department, get to have a candid conversation about code-related topics that matter to you. Subject matter experts are here to provide the best information right to your ears. So, let's get started. After 10 seasons on TV, it is very likely that you have seen or heard the show Hoarders. In this episode of CodeCast, we will deep dive into a disease that literally buries the sufferer and its symptoms. The Austin Code Department wanted to take a closer look into the cause of the disorder to share with all of us in hopes to raise awareness and shed light into a disease that quietly affects millions of Americans. To speak about the topic of hoarding is Dr. Mark Cruz, psychologist with the Austin Fire Department and Emergency Medical Services, who will talk to us today about the hoarding as a disease. Thank you, Dr. Chris, for taking the time to talk to us today about hoarding. Um, can you give us an overall explanation of what hoarding is? Yes, uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to talk with you today. Uh, when we think about hoarding, there's kind of four essential components. Uh, first, we see the individuals who hoard have what we call persistent difficulty partying with possessions, regardless of whether they actually have any value or not. Second, um, the difficulty in, in getting rid of stuff is really based on this belief that they need to save the items um, and they have significant distress at even the idea of getting rid of the stuff that they have. Third, the difficulty in parting with possessions results in what we call the accumulation of stuff, so much so that it begins to clutter active living areas, which reduces their ability to use those spaces. For example, the kitchens might be so cluttered with stuff that you can't actually go in there and cook in them, or the bedrooms might be so full of stuff that they can't actually uh, sleep in their beds. And fourth, uh, this hoarding causes either clinically significant distress or it results in significant impairment in someone's life. And that can be social impairment, it can be occupational impairment, or in some cases it can be impairment in the ability to provide a safe living environment for themselves or for other people. Okay. Um, is hoarding then considered a disease? Yes, uh, hoarding is actually recognized as a disorder by the American Psychiatric Association. Um, we know that it's associated with a number of other diseases, including things like obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, major depression disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and a few other things, but it is considered its own disorder. Have you heard or know that it affects one gender more than the other? Uh, it's really pretty interesting. We believe, and this is hard because a lot of people don't spontaneously endorse these things. A lot of people who suffer from hoarding are really quite embarrassed about it. Um, but we believe that we think that males are slightly more likely to be hoarders. Although um, when we look at the people who eventually do seek treatment, uh, women are much more likely to actually seek treatment. Um, is there any telling signs for the general audience? Like, am I able to spot someone that has a hoarding behavior or that, is there anything that kind of signals to people that they're experiencing this or that they're possibly going through something like this? Yeah. Uh, like we just talked about, a lot of people really try to hide hoarding from other people and there is a significant amount of embarrassment that's associated with it um, and oftentimes it's because they've received negative feedback from people in the past and so uh, it can really be difficult for people on the outside to have a true understanding of, of how much hoarding is going on. Um, some of the signs that we might see is that uh, you might have 
someone who you're friends with and they won't invite you over to their home. Uh, there's always a reason for it, always an excuse for it. And even if you go and pick that person up, they're going to be waiting outside for you. And even if you urgently need to use the restroom, there's, there's going to be an excuse for why you can't go inside. Um, other things that we might see is we might see uh, some of the signs of people having kind of an excessive preoccupation with acquiring new items. So, for example, if if at the end of a um, you know a staff kind of get together, someone's going around and making sure that they're saving all of the plates and all of the napkins and and things that that we might not view as having much value, um, not wanting those to be discarded. Um, we might also see people have a hard time in, in their own office space getting rid of things that, that don't matter. Uh, they might not um, want it when, to see other people who are um, trying to recycle old newspapers or magazines. Uh, there's just this, this preoccupation with kind of acquiring stuff based on the belief that there might be some value to it. I could see that. Um, I could see that for somebody who's not willing to let go of things that they have at home for them, to, that loss or parting, even exter- externally, could affect them. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you have a belief that these things are really valuable, you're, you're going to try to acquire them. Okay. Um, and and I mean, what I imagine from a, the environment that a hoarder lives in. Um, you know, descriptively, I can imagine just a place that's highly saturated with things. Um, and we perceive that as being perhaps overwhelming. Um, what is the perception from a hoarder when they're in that environment? Is there any, any data that can tell you? Or what are some of the commentaries that, you've co- that people collected about this? Yeah, I think it's overwhelming, but it's overwhelming from a different perspective. Um, I think if you or I walk into a hoarder's home, someone someone who's really gathered a lot of stuff, we are overwhelmed by the amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we start getting a closer look, we're overwhelmed by the amount of things that we consider to have really low value, mm-hmm. uh, what we might consider to be junk or what we might consider to be trash in some instances, um, that we get overwhelmed by the sheer amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think people who are struggling with hoarding, they're more overwhelmed by the emotional attachment to things um, and and sometimes the the more full uh, their space gets uh, then the worry becomes how to kind of acquire additional space or what they're going to do when they run out of space mm-hmm. and so and so they are also overwhelmed but it's overwhelmed from a different perspective and I think that's when it becomes more um, obvious to perhaps the neighbors, when they start looking for things to hide outside in a shed or in the garage, or that's when it kind of starts spilling out of the house. On the back porch and under the, yeah, under the crawl space. And it becomes a little bit more public, right, that people start realizing that that's perhaps not what they're used to and consider normal in their own environment. Yes, and even for folks who are considering trying to reduce or trying to prioritize um, by the time they get to that point, it really has become an overwhelming task. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that uh, my wife gets frustrated when <laughs> things build up on my bathroom counter, and sometimes <laughs> it's easier just to ignore that part of the house when we walk by. But if you can imagine an entire house mm-hmm. um, that's full, in some cases, from, from ceiling to floor, mm-hmm. and, and so much so that, that people have to kind of almost build little pathways to be able to walk through the houses, it, it really is an overwhelming experience to try to meaningfully organize that. And I noticed that you said when they become aware and try to, you know, fix the problem per se. Um, So that's my next question. Do you realize, do you know that 
Um, typically, do they seek treatment? Like, uh, do they acknowledge the fact that it is a problem? And then is it is it typical for them to seek treatment or is it still such a personal, hidden and embarrassing thing that they don't? It's, so it's really, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so, so we believe that, that about 75% of people who meet diagnostic criteria for order uh, for a hoard, uh, hoarding disorder mm-hmm. uh, will meet diagnostic criteria for at least one other behavioral disorder, with the most likely of those being either mood or anxiety disorders. Um, so um, we think about half of people who struggle with hoarding uh, meet diagnostic criteria for a major depressive disorder. Um, uh, generalized anxiety disorder is another one that's very prevalent. Um, social phobia can be another one that we see a lot, as well as obsessive compulsive disorder. So sometimes when people seek treatment, um, they're not talking about the hoarding originally, again, because there's a lot of shame associated with that. And so they might come in uh, to help resolve these other issues, to seek assistance for depression. Um, but it might not be what they initially talk about. And so sometimes we'll work with the client for a period of time and then discover through the mm-hmm. course of as they begin to feel more comfortable that they, they'll start opening up with that. And usually it starts off with really kind of very minor acknowledgments. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to clean up my house, um, which is something that many of us kind of talk about needing mm-hmm. to do and struggling to All do the with. Time. And <laughs> it's And it's not until you really get into... Um, um, a, a deeper level. relationship yeah. that you ever really truly understand what we're talking about. Um, that can be facilitated when we have family members uh, who will be a part of the process who will help us recognize how significant things are. Um, it's difficult for us to kind of get an idea, you know, is it the hoarding that's leading to the depression? Is it the depression that's leading to the hoarding? Or is it a third variable that's contributing to both? Um, but you can certainly imagine if someone has concerns about social evaluation and things like that, um, they're not going to want to invite somebody over into this environment. In my brief research that I was doing, um, I saw that there was a relationship, perhaps mentioned more on my research than in the real world settings, uh, as far as OCD and the relationship between OCD and hoarding. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, so hoarding used to be considered just a subtype of OCD, and okay. so there really was the this. There's this. You're right. There's this strong association between the two disorders. Um, obsessive compulsive disorder refers to the idea that we have these obsessive thoughts, and because we have these obsessive thoughts, we engage in a, a behavior compulsively to try to reduce the anxiety behind that. And so, from a, um, a hoarding perspective. The, the obsessive thought that we would think about is that this item has some sort of intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. Or even you can go into some sort of a, almost a magical thinking paradigm where people believe that if they get rid of this item, something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, if I get rid of this box of medical supplies from 1972, it's going to lead to some sort of a medical emergency and I'm not going to prepare to handle it. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine that when people have these... Um, these cognitions, these thoughts about their stuff, they don't want to get rid of it because mm-hmm. it's not worth it. And it's also uh, associated to something else. Like you said, you know, it could be something that's valuable and it might, it might present itself needed at some point. Right. And it's that anxiety of like, what if I don't have it in the future? Right. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever uh, had any experience working with um, uh, folks. So 
So a lot of times people from previous generations, like folks who went through the Great Depression, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and my wife's grandmother uh, who uh, passed away several years ago, uh, but she was known for, for driving to multiple um, uh, grocery stores around town in order to save eight cents on a pound of grapes. <laughs> uh, never mind, she spent four dollars yeah. in gas over to get there. Um, but so there are some generational things, and there's some kind of early life influences where, where we get taught these messages that some things we need to have, mm -hmm. that we need to keep them. Um, if you've ever gone without, there's a fear of what it's going to be like to go without again. And so some of these experiences can kind of exacerbate mm -hmm. these things. Um, and, and so certainly those are other factors that we want to kind of take in mind too. Because if you're going to just go into a hoarder's home and get rid of all of their stuff, mm -hmm. you're going to cause a lot of distress if you don't do the work to try to challenge some of these thoughts and to try to give people different ways of thinking about things. That's great. Um, so what are some of those approaches to help so assist someone who's suffering from this disease? Yeah, so the most effective treatment that we have um, for hoarding is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and cognitive behavioral therapy has been shown to be effective for a lot of uh, behavioral health disorders, including depression and, and most anxiety disorders. And so there's, there's kind of three main areas um, that we look at with CBT. Uh, that's, that's what we call it, CBT, Cognitive mm -hmm. Behavioral Therapy. Mm -hmm. um, but the first thing that you want to do is, is you want to actually um, try to implement things that prevent the acquisition of new materials, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if, if you feel as though you have this desperate need to, to acquire a certain amount of something and somebody comes in and throws a whole bunch of it away, mm -hmm. there's going to be a desire to kind of go and get more. And mm -hmm. so you want to actually do some kind of response prevention to do that. Um, another thing that you want to do is you want to identify, well, what are these thoughts that you have about discarding this, mm -hmm. uh, making this donation to mm -hmm. charity, uh, to not have this in your possession? What are the thoughts that are associated with that? Um, and again, if, if the belief is that if I get rid of this, something bad is going to happen, um, or if something bad happens, I'm going to be unprepared and unable to handle it. Then you want to be able to kind of challenge those thoughts and look at, is there objective information that suggests this? Mm -hmm. um, true, if you have this medical kit from 1972, it, it might help. <laughs> but if you can't access it because you don't know where it is, mm -hmm. it's not really finding the need. And so you want to be able to kind of look at those as well. And then uh, there's also... Um, uh, some other uh, forms of treatment as well. So uh, motivational interviewing is one that's been demonstrated has some effectiveness. And in motivational interviewing, it's designed to help people um, balance this, this thing between making a change in their life, mm -hmm. um, which there might be some benefit, to the ambivalence about the fear associated with that. And so, um, you know, we have this drive to both make changes for our growth and to stay exactly the same. And so motivational interviewing can help people really kind of evaluate what are their reasons for making the changes. Um, you know, if you tell someone they have to do something, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes their initial reaction is going to be that they don't want to. And they'll try to push that away. But if you can get people talking about the reasons why they want to make changes, then that might actually lead to those changes being made. So motivational interviewing has been shown to be really effective to help people um, quit alcohol, uh, to make changes in, in fitness and diet and all sorts of stuff. And it's shown some effectiveness with people with hoarding too. Um, another thing that we uh, try to encourage people to do is skills-based training. And so 
um, for some folks there is a there is just this inability to distinguish between those items that have some potential value mm-hmm. um, and and have no value at all and so um, so skills based training to help people prioritize and organize and, and kind of sort things through that and then for some people especially if there is an underlying um, uh, depression mm-hmm. or um, obsessive compulsive disorder uh, they might be able to work with a psychiatrist to identify medications that can actually help improve um, their treatment and, and get them better okay um is it okay for a family member to step in and try to help someone that's going through this um, and, and attempt to remove items? I heard you just say um, several angles to kind of ta- have that discussion, and one of them is like maybe to start talking to them about not acquiring anymore, and then something, uh, you know, to just kind of make an assessment as to how, what is your attachment to your current items. So I hear those points. But as a family member who would like to step in and, and, and take action, you know, um, is, is that a good thing to do? Or do you think it could trigger something deeper for somebody in aversion to having that family member even come around now, you know? Well, it depends on how they do it, right? Yeah. And so certainly we want family members to support the person getting the help that they need in order to kind of go about this process in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody is not living in a safe environment, then something needs to be done. Uh, for their health and for the health of their neighbors, um, for other people who may live in the home. And so if you were to walk into a person's home and in kind of a very kind of inflammatory way, uh, just start coming in with shovels and just start throwing a whole bunch of stuff away. I can, I can see my mom doing something like that. So it's, it's, I think it's something that most people would fear that if somebody finds out, you know, someone's going to come in and just right. get rid of everything. And it's that reinforcement yeah. of, of all the shame that this is something bad and that people should be embarrassed mm-hmm. by it. And mm-hmm. so it reinforces all those things that make people not likely to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. Right? This mm-hmm. is what is going to happen. If I tell someone about this, they're going to take all my stuff. Mm-hmm. And if they take all my stuff, there's the possibility that some really bad things might happen mm-hmm. um, for that. And so... Uh, so yes, we want family members to be involved, but we want family members to be involved in a in a productive way. Um, and so, working with the behavioral health expert um, to to help kind of um, first of all make sure that the behavioral health expert has a clear idea of how significant the problem really is, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of clients will will understate um, mm-hmm. what they're actually going through, um, and then to be a partner with them uh, to help to help go through the process. Uh, one of the things that we want to make sure that we do is that, you know, you can do something called like uh, an intensive exposure where you just throw everything away mm-hmm. um, or you can do it in a graduated process. And when you do it in the graduated process, it gives the opportunity for the person to, to understand that getting rid of things isn't leading to the bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so we want to we want to mm-hmm. dissociate those two things that they don't have to acquire new items in order to feel safe, Mm -hmm. uh, to feel prepared, Mm -hmm. to feel um, protected, whatever it is that their concerns Mm -hmm. are. And that in the storyline, it makes sense, you know, to have that conversation with someone. If you realize, I imagine that I have like a family member that is experiencing this type of hoarding behavior, um, it would be, I guess, good to first acknowledge that this is going on, Mm -hmm. um, to have a conversation a healthy conversation, a friendly conversation mm-hmm. as to, you know, why are you acquiring and holding on to these things and, and slowly in digestible bites um, kind of introduce uh, 
tips to not add more and then try to kind of find the, the root of it and try to help. And I, I think that would be something that is doable for people um, until eventually you can get professional help or encourage them to get professional help. Right. Um, so I think some of those tips could be valuable to people to just um, know that there are some things that they could do to mm-hmm. help. And if you can get people to acknowledge that that they would like to make a reduction, Mm -hmm. so even if you can get someone to say, oh, it'd be nice if I could get rid of 10% or it'd be nice if I could sleep on my own bed again, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, depending on on the level of severity that they're at. Mm -hmm. And then that allows that that door to become open. Okay, well, what are some of the things that, that... you know, mom or dad or uh, brother or sister or aunt or uncle that we that we know we don't need. Mm-hmm. What are some things that, that we know? Okay, we don't need we don't need this. All right. Well, I guess uh, anything any of the coupons that have expired. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's something small mm-hmm. with that. But this idea of making these graduated steps and it gives the person opportunity to feel successful and to also feel as though they have some control. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you take that control away from person from a person, it's likely to lead to them feeling more distressed mm-hmm. as opposed to less. So let's talk about the healing process. Is there a healing process for hoarders? Um, with any type of, of treatment, that, that's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you want people to feel less tied to these possessions. Um, that that is one of the big goals that we have. We want them to to establish their own identity outside of kind of a collector of these possessions. Mm -hmm. And so um, the extent to which you can remove the emotional attachment to that is one of the signs that we look for. Um, And another signs that we're going to be looking for, we're going to be looking for evidence that people are doing better behaviorally, that they're engaging in more social things, that that they're taking other uh, steps to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And and you really want people to be able to start utilizing and seeing the benefits if they make these changes for that. And I'm assuming that just like there is a healing process, there's possibility to relapse. Yeah, anytime um, stressors get, get increased, right? Um, uh, and, and again, it's every person's going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, you can imagine someone for whom this provides an opportunity to have some control over your, your life experiences. If all of a sudden they lose their job or uh, a marriage ends or, mm-hmm. um, or, or something, um, an emotional trigger. Yes. That, that, that might, you know, kind of reinvigorate that desire to control some aspect of mm-hmm. their life. And so we want to be mindful of kind of what those what those areas are, and then be able to to provide someone with a, maybe a different coping strategy that might be uh, healthier or or at least uh, less destructive to their well being. Mm-hmm. What are some resources available in Austin for people who are experiencing hoarding or anybody who would like to know more information? Where to reach out? Where to start? Where do you start with with trying to find help here in Austin, Texas? Well, the good news is that we have a lot of psychologists who are really very well trained um, in, in, in um, helping people deal with anxiety disorders. Um, I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin, uh, where we have some incredible researchers doing some great work, and they've provided a lot of really good training. Uh, people like Dr. Michael Telch and people like Dr. Josper Smits um, have done some incredible work in the anxiety field. And so um, what you want to make sure that you do is you want to get someone 
who is actually uh, trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, someone who has work, has some experience doing exposure treatments. Ideally, someone who has experience successfully helping someone deal with hoarding in the past. Um, so they get an idea of what is it that, that actually takes. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the type of therapy that we do, people come to our office and we see them once a week and then, or mm -hmm. once every two weeks and then, and then they go about their business the rest of the time. And for a lot of people, that can really be very effective. But for something like this, you really do need to kind of get out into the home and to make a commitment to help the person. Um, again, the more responsibility that we can get the, uh, the individual to take into making decisions to donate things, to mm -hmm. throw away things, to recycle things, uh, the more ownership they have, over it, the better outcome we're going to see. But so I'd recommend um, uh, working with a trained professional uh, who is who is CBT experienced, uh, who's experienced with um, exposure types of therapies and ideally have dealt with, with hoarders, um, uh, people who've struggled with hoarding in the past. Anything that you'd like to conclude with? I'm really excited the Austin Code Department is looking into this issue and trying to provide education, not only for our employees, but our community to help people identify these concerns and then try to help people get the assistance they need to deal with it. So as a, just a quick reminder, hoarding refers to not only the kind of accumulation of a great number of things, uh, regardless of their, their actual value, but the significant distress that's associated with the idea of getting rid of it. And so um, we... We believe that about 2 to 5% of the population uh, suffers from some form of hoarding disorder. And so the chances are pretty good that someone that you know is struggling with this. And if you know someone who's struggling with hoarding, there are a couple things we want you to, to bear in mind. First of all, it is an actual disorder, and there are actual treatments for it. Uh, there's really effective treatments, and we strongly encourage people uh, who are thinking about making changes to to work with someone who's trained in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. The second, if you're a family member of someone who is um, struggling with hoarding, um, we want you to reach out to them and to let the person know that you love them and that you care about them and to begin the process of trying to get them to think about how might they want their lives to be a little bit differently. Um, it can really be very traumatic to go into someone's home and to remove a whole bunch of items from them uh, that, that they believe have some significant value. So instead, we want to talk with them about identifying what their goals are, and then you can be the support to help them get connected to the resources to make that happen. The Austin Code Department aims to preserve the quality of life of all Austinites. Unfortunately, hoarding is a disease that affects not only the person, their family and friends, but also neighbors and communities. I hope this podcast has shed light and provided tools to address this quiet disease. I want to thank Dr. Mark Cruz for joining us today and giving us his advice about hoarding. Uh, please share this podcast topic with someone you feel may benefit from it and stay tuned for a future podcast from the Austin Code Department. You've reached the end of another episode of CodeCast, the podcast. To learn more about today's topic or additional resources and materials, head out to austintexas.gov forward slash code. Until next time.